Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. In this episode, we talk about Modiphius's house system, 2-die-20, and a number of the different properties that it's been applied to, with an emphasis on how the core mechanic works. Like I said, our, our plan, our hope today, is to describe to people how the core mechanic of the 2-die-20 system works, and what one is able to accomplish through that, why we think it's a good thing, and maybe how that compares to other systems, or as we were just talking about a moment ago, other system because it, it does seem like there's there isn't there aren't other game systems there's the system yeah I and mean, if you look on anything you know like when roll 20 and, and things like that release their stats and you you're they're on sort of you know 60 percent of it is is fifth edition and then even the next one might be pathfinder you have to go quite a way down to find you know, people playing something else in decent numbers well, you know, too, it's it's interesting. Like, I I get a lot of my gaming news and just interest articles from uh, En World. Well, which is a D and D website, totally. And and it's 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 like a it's D and D with some with a smattering of other things that the uh, the owner has put in over the years. And even though he pumps out his own, he has his own game system and he sells mm. his own stuff for that. Most of what I, most of what he does is, yeah, it's 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 D and D. Whatever edition of D and D is there, that's what he does now. Well, I mean, they, like you said, they've been doing it for a while because they were doing stuff for still for four. So it's not like they've jumped on the bandwagon. Which I think one of my bugbears now would be that's kind of my perception that there's that people are going to like. So what was I saw the other like the Hellboy? There's no reason that Hellboy in any shape or form should ever have been fifth edition but they've gone well if we match a, a like a you know a brand a franchise to a system that people know we will sell much so it makes good business right but from a system point of view i uh, you know fifth editions it's okay but it's it, it's not the be it can't do everything and it's not the be all and end all and it shouldn't be used like that and they tried that because they tried that with third edition yeah um, and, well i remember that when i mean when when the Open gaming license was released with third edition. I mean, I, I yeah. thought third third edition was a tremendous improvement over second edition. And I had, I think I played second edition D and D like maybe four, maybe five or six times in total. <laughs> I just I skipped that edition and I moved to other games. But uh, third edition I thought was great. And then it was D twenty everything. Like you yeah. and I talked about the idea of like you know a fifteenth level Jedi just seems absurd. <laughs> I mean, I even saw uh, you know homebrew fan made versions of d20 for star trek like okay what level is mr spock a science yeah. that makes no sense no. to me yeah i think i mean i think i second edition was the one i played most i mean, I, I played i played sort of basic when i was really young first getting into it and then second edition came out so i played and second like literally all through my time in high school that's what i played with other people and then I think, did I play at Universe? I think I carried second edition on until, I, and then when third came out, that was the point when I was finding other games. And then I kind of didn't play anything. Well, but I, even when I was buying other stuff, like third edition was the edition I kind of just skipped because I was buying, you know, like World of Darkness. And I can't remember. I just, I, the only thing I can remember at that point was World of Darkness. I guess Star Wars, I bought, I bought a lot of Star Wars stuff. So. It, it um, is interesting how, I mean, D&D, &D, people associate, I think, 
they associate role-playing games, especially now that it's become a piece of mainstream pop culture. It's no yeah. longer like the weird kids in the school library at lunch or after school or something like that. I mean, I have a, I have a friend of mine who teaches and uh, they're, they're forming a, they have a D and D club on campus that they, they can't find enough space to host <laughs> the meetings for. Um, but yeah, D and D has always been as the setting and as the system, whatever its system is at a given point in time, that's always the, the elephant in the room for, yeah. uh, for gaming. But we talk about other systems. We talk about this system that, that you and I have connected over the two die 20 system from Modifius. Uh, which I think is terrific. I think there's a lot to it and uh, a lot that can be done with it that um, it offers people, people running games, people playing games, options that you you don't get. I'm not going to use, you know, fifth edition as a whipping boy, but you just can't get out of that system. So let's go ahead and talk about, let's talk about 2Die20 and, and clear up some of the, because I, I keep running into just, the same misconceptions about how the system, forget about how it works as a vehicle for, for telling and playing stories, but how it actually works mechanically is, is one of those things that now that I get it is so self-evident and so simple, but I have, I've run into the same misconceptions. So let's, let's talk through that. How would you describe the, the core mechanic? Like how does two die 20 resolve that ever-present question of, did I do it or not? There's a basically a set of steps for the thing, which will sound complicated if you can play it, compare it to something else. But actually, most games are the same. You know, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're always going to have some kind of stats, some kind of dice, and some kind of difficulty. And, and 2 to 20 is exactly the same as that. So normally you start off with, with what's called a task number. And that's usually an attribute plus a skill. So in Star Trek, it might be like, I can't remember what the different abilities are, but it would be like, you know, you're... You'd add your security because that's the thing you're doing something to do with security, like a fighting thing or a thing. And you'd add that to like a physical stat brawl fitness. or something. In Star Trek, yeah. it's fitness. So you so add those, you two, add those together. together. And that gives you a number. Now, already thinking, oh, that sounds really cool. You can, you know, you can have this pre-done. Most of the time, you're going to use the same stuff. So that's going to be a score. You say it's about 12. And then you simply, the GM will pick a difficulty, which is normally one. Okay, The vast majority of the time when I'm playing 2 to 20 game, the difficulty is one, maybe maybe two in some situations. It can go down zero, it can go up to five. So it's, we're not talking about a massive difficulty range here. We're, we're literally zero to five, but it's normally one. So uh, the player, basically the player picks up two dice, um, the, the two die 20, like you said, rolls them, uh, and then you're looking to score equal to or lower than that target number. And you're looking at each dice separately. So if one die, if, you, if you've got your target number as a 12, and one dice comes up with a seven and the other dice comes up with a, an 18, you score one success and you're looking to compare those successes to the difficulty. So if it's difficulty one and you rolled one success, you succeeded. Okay. And that, that's the, that's the, that's, that's the absolute core and the basic, that's how, you know, that's how it works. And in all the different variations, that's always how it works. And so what I found in this is that because the difficulty is, as you said, one is the default. And what's nice is that we, the rules, all the all the versions of the game that I have in explaining determining difficulties from the GM's perspective, they I think that the the implication is, or sometimes it's explicit. They say start at one and then either adjust upward or downward based on the nature of it. So assume it's something yeah. that's it's yeah, there's a chance you could fail, but it's it's not this overwhelming thing. Nor is it just a you know you're phoning it in like with a zero. Yeah. Um, 
And so all you need to do as the, uh, as the game master is provide the player, okay, here, here's a task. You're trying to penetrate atmospheric, this is going to be very Star trek and you're going to try to penetrate the as- atmospheric disturbances with the sensors to see if there are any Klingon life forms on the planet. And because there's an atmospheric disturbance, I'm going to say that's a difficulty too. So in the case of... Star Trek, you would then add together your stat. And, and, and most of the governing stats I've seen in these run somewhere from the high single digits to the low double digits. Your stats. Yeah, you, you, I think you tend to find there tends to be an attribute and skill. And the skill normally is on the range of sort of one to five or right. maybe zero to five. And then they're usually the attributes. Yeah, you should sort of average around, around eight, nine. So you might be having a like low six would be low and then like 12 13 would be really high right and, and you that's just usually add those very consistent yeah person's already got the target number and then you just tell them the number of successes they have to roll what's nice i've seen i mean in all the systems they have or all the versions of the system they have a breakdown of like this would be an explanation this this is what a difficulty three task would look like in terms of of descriptive like narrative text so you've got a lot of guidance to help determine which ones you know how do you how do you set the difficulty without going off the without going off the this main topic of the the core mechanic and really that's it that's all there is Mm. to it um why would you ever as a gm have a zero difficulty task because obviously if the if the difficulty is the number of successes you must roll at or above if it's a zero then you don't need to roll any successes why why would you even roll for a zero so it i literally in in any other system you wouldn't bother. Uh, 2D20 has this X, it has a couple of things, what we call meta currency. Lots of games have meta currency. Um, and in the main one that we have in 2 20 in fact, even in the John Carter version, they actually call it the momentum system. So the first, the first important meta currency is called momentum. And anytime you roll more successes than the difficulty, you generate momentum. So if, because there's ways of doing it, if you were to, if you were to get four successes and the difficulty was one, you get three. So in the case of this, if you have zero as a difficulty, you might as well roll your two dice. Um, actually, things can go wrong, but you roll your two dice. And if you get, you know, if you get two successes, you just generate yourself two momentum. Like you said, we'll look at this at a later date, but momentum's useful for you know lots of getting extra dice, doing extra things in com, uh, you know, a lot of extra things in common, getting extra information. Um, you know, momentum can do a lot of useful extra, extra things. And in the case of this, if that's why you know if the difficulty zero you could just go yeah i succeed or most people wouldn't go no i'm gonna roll for it i'll uh, i'll get you know i'll generate some momentum um particularly because momentum could be shared so it could be something you're doing which then benefits the next person because you can you can share momentum in a group pool which is uh, handy for helping your mates in now what i find interesting in, in, in if if anyone listening has played uh fantasy flight games star wars any of their games the i don't remember his name but one of the one of the main designers of that system also worked on two die 20 and two die 20 came after ff you're going to look that up good stuff i know i am i want to say jay little was it jason little (laughs) so if so if you are familiar with ffg star wars and those narrative dice in a way this is similar to that because you know there are times with that system where you'll roll something and then you'll pass a benefit on to a mechanical benefit or a story benefit that has some kind of mechanical expression, you'll pass that on to another player. Now, one of the big differences though, is that two die 20 does not use 
funny looking proprietary dice. Now, Modifius, the company that produces this, will sell you proprietary dice. <laughs> they will sell you dice from here to Gibraltar. They'll sell you dice. But all you need for the vast majority of these systems are die 20s and die 6s. There are some of the systems or some of the games under two die 20 that don't use die 6s, but typically the 20s are used to determine success and degree of and the sixes are then used to determine effect like damage. Yeah, I mean, so a lot. There are people that actually will say, "Well, the, the D sixes are proprietary dice. They've got different symbols on." But actually, I mean, I played for ages without having any. We couldn't get hold of them when I first started playing these games. I was playing like beta versions, and they didn't exist. And it's always one is one damage, two is two damage, three and four don't do anything, and then depending on the system, five and six are a special effect. So as much as, you know, yes, they can sell you, like I said, they can sell you dice where it's the threes and fours and blanks and the five and the six have a little picture on. Um, you don't need them. It's, it's super strange. It's not like, yeah, you can't play Genesis or the Star Wars games without those dice. Well, I mean, you could, but really, there's a lot of looking up stuff on the table and it's not realistic at all. No, it's funny, actually, when, uh, when Star Wars was in, uh, uh, Edge of the Empire was in beta, I picked up a soft back copy yeah i did of, and it, it, you remember how that that sheet of stickers, yeah, with the stickers you're supposed to use like tweezers to put those on your dice yeah. it was it was i read it and I, this is no so i did any, actually do that i got my uh my my wife actually spent like a good evening putting all stickers on the die bought plain <laughs> dice just to do that sticking all these little stickers on the corner of the dice yeah that was, that was crazy oh no thank you um <laughs> Now, the other thing you, you did mention with rolling, let's say you're at a, a difficulty zero uh, task or any for that matter, you did mention that something could go wrong. And to folks listening, if you roll a 20 on any of the dice, that creates what's called a complication. There are instances where it can, that, that range, the complication range can extend. Um, and that's it's not something we could talk about today or we're going to talk about today, but that, that is a, a, an element of the system. But if you roll a 20, you generate a complication, which means something, even if you're successful, like Star Wars, you could still experience a negative consequence. Like you hit the guy with your machine gun, but then your machine gun jams. That could potentially be it. And there are both narrative expressions of that and mechanical expressions of, of uh, complications. And I think straight away, that's one of the reasons I really like this game, because in, in most systems, most systems are, you know, they're pass fail. So, or they're pass and so, you know, even something like um, the, the powered by the apocalypse game will have, you know, you, you fail or you kind of, you, you succeed, but, or you succeed and, but it's, it's on a very, you know, it's on that scale. You can't have something good and bad happen. This does take that idea from star Wars where, well, you can succeed on your role because you've got your successes, but you got disadvantage. And it's then the same thing as one of the things I like about it is that you can succeed on your role, but you generated a complication, which is more interesting than always, you know, you fail or, or you succeed There's, you know, you can succeed and have something bad. you know, you can succeed here and have something bad happen. Um, and you can't necessarily fail, but have something good happen, but the kind of momentum actually plays around with that a bit. So yeah, it's interesting. The first system that I remember playing that had degree of success, at least, built into the task resolution role was Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. At the, I mean, because that, that was in the mid-90s, and that was new and fresh. And I love the idea that 
hey, I determined whether I succeeded or not and the degree to which I succeeded or not. I thought that was that was really great. Now, obviously, with that, if you rolled a bunch of ones, you would yeah. suffer, you know, a critical failure, a fumble, whatever, whatever they called it, botch, I think. What I think is interesting about this is that in one roll with your die 20s, you, again, you, you determine whether you succeeded or failed and you generate potentially this momentum or complications or both that then shape how that thing, that task turns out because momentum can be used in all kinds of ways. It's so hard not to. You could do more damage. You could do whatever you're doing faster. You could, there are all kinds of things you can do with it. So in one role, you determine a number of things and set the stage for other mechanical and narrative results of that task attempt, whether it's, it's successful or not. Yeah. Um, I think it's as much as we don't want to go into the other things like momentum and, and threat, I think it, it's worth going into it because it's such an, yeah, in terms of the basic core, that not, I'm not going to go what threat does, but the, the idea of it. So obviously one of the things you realize here is if you only have two dice, but you can go up to difficulty five, how can you possibly succeed? Now, there's, there's two ways with that. One is that actually the result yourself on your dice have two things it can do. Um, and if we go back to the example of, of Star Trek, if you've got a we'll security, um, if you've got a security skill of, say, three, now not only does if you had to roll, like I said, 12 versus, if you rolled under the 12, that was a success. If you roll under your, your skill value and you have a particular, um, I can't remember the word is. The focus. Yeah, so you have a particular focus. Uh, so in Star Trek, maybe maybe it's phasers. So you're shooting someone with your phaser, and you have you have security three, and you have a focus. If you one of those dice actually comes up as three or less, then that isn't just one success; it's two successes. So straight away on two dice, it's actually possible to get to get four successes, um, which again is a is a clever way of you know one straightforward simple roll. You can you can have an amazing roll. So just like other games, you might have a crit or you massively succeed. There's a way here in, in you know, your skills are counting twice. And then these focus ideas. And again, the, the focuses work differently in different systems, but generally it'll be you're a little bit better again at this. So your skill, your skill of security, you know, that could be that's anything from firing phases in a ship to punching someone in the face to shooting a phaser. And, uh, you know, so that's that is going to cover a lot. But the focuses then narrow it down a little bit. The focuses and then being right, that's your, that's your, you know, you're specialized in that thing. And getting extra, getting extra successes, therefore, is the, is the way that comes up mechanically as well as understanding what your uh, what your character is good at you know I, um, I think that that makes a lot of sense too because if you think about this i mean and and i would hard i would never say that two die 20 is a simulationist system it's no. not however if you think about it and in, in your work life or your personal life or whatever the things that you are good at the things that you're really good at you tend to have more exceptional positive results when you're doing the things you're really good at than the things you are not as good at. So if you have a, you know, if your if your security skill is a four versus your science skill, which is only a two, you're more likely to achieve greater positive outcomes doing security stuff than you are science stuff, because you're just not as good at as good at at science. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And incidentally, one one other a way that you can earn two successes, and this is Focus aside, it doesn't matter uh, if you roll a one. A one always counts as two successes. Yeah, that's quite nice. Although I think in the in the really old versions it didn't, which is why I was have to check. 
Star Trek does. I think pretty much everything from definitely from Star Trek onwards. Star Trek, Conan, and mm-hmm. Octung Cthulhu are the three that I've played the most, right. and they all do. Conan was the one I wasn't 100% sure of, which probably means I've always got that wrong. <laughs> well, uh, and, and anyway. what, what I find interesting, uh, again, is you know that this, this system is flexible at the table re- regarding, or regardless mm-hmm. of which, uh, which setting or version of it you're playing. But I find it fascinating that they have taken this thing and and modified it to fit all these different IPs, all these different uh, these settings that have a very different vibe to them. Yeah. I think Star Trek was the first one because it started, history lesson, it started with Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition, and it was that's, that's quite, a, compared to all the others, that is still the most, the most hardcore, the most complicated system that they've, they've done. It has you know, a lot more skills. It has... It, like health on each hit location. It's, 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 it's quite detailed. Um, and then they did, they did infinity where they, they pretty much ported it over, you know, mutant chronicles. People don't know is kind of what we call like a diesel punk game. So it's, it's futuristic, but then there's no computers. And, um, so it's sort of in space, but you're fighting like zombies and stuff. And then infinity is, is much more like classic sci-fi cyberpunk transhuman stuff. So they, they ported a lot of stuff straight on most of how it works is, but they simplified bits of it. Conan, Conan, because it was being developed pretty much at the exact same time as as Infinity, um, runs almost exactly the same as Infinity. So again, it's it's still quite complicated. Now, then, when they did John Carter and Star Trek, which again they were developed sort of at about the same time as Star Trek, particularly, they clearly decided that they weren't just going to port the same system again. They obviously made a conscious decision, like no, right, Star Trek. Well, actually, it will lend itself to having these six different skills. There's six kind of different, uh, you know, job departments in Star Trek on a ship. So let's have, let's have six skills. And then they match that by having sort of six attributes as well. And, and the system just, it still worked. It still worked exactly like it always did. It was actually quicker in some ways because of some of the things they changed. Focus meant something completely different in sort of Conan and Infinity and, and Mutant Chronicles, but actually still works in the same way. It gives you extra successes. Um, and then from there, they came kind of tweaked. So, you know, we've had a couple more systems since then. And again, they more and more there, they, they, each system they release, they change it to match that. And what do we want to do is that system, the basic core that we've gone through so far is still the same in each of these systems, but kind of how exactly how, it's mostly how the, what the character sheet maybe look like, how the characters are, are laid out is different, but the basic system is, uh, is there every time. It's not as if they, Modifius, that is, over the years, have gone from a more, like a crunchier, more detailed and complex version of the system on this straight continuum to a less complex or more, mm. call it fluffy version of it, like, uh, like John Carter. They move the dial and they make the tweaks based on what they believe is most appropriate for that story, for that setting and the vibe. Yeah. Like Octun Cthulhu... It has a different vibe than Dune. Yeah, totally. If you're not familiar with these systems, like if you get Star Trek, the skill array is entirely different than Conan, which is entirely different from Octone Cthulhu. And some of these even have different attributes, different numbers of mm. attributes. But that's a really good point that you just made, that the, that core task resolution and momentum generation mechanic, which is both mechanical and narrative, is exactly the same for all the systems, even though some of the pieces and parts of the systems are different. Yeah, I think for a while, it looked like they maybe were going to a, a more sort of narrative system, 
because although Star, Star Trek and John Cart was such a leap from sort of where we'd been with Conan. And then the and then we kind of had to get those two came out at the same time. And then there was a big gap before um, Dishonored was off the top of my head. The next one came out last year. And that is, again, really, really, it's not fluffy, but it, they designed it to be very simple. If you if all you knew is the Dishonored computer game and you wanted to play the role-playing game, they pared it down so much that you could you could probably manage that. Um, but actually, and, and then June again, you think, oh, it kind of looks comparatively simpler because again, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the D sixes, but it has lots of little subsystems. They've played around with a lot. But the two most recent ones, like I said, Acton Cthulhu and now Fallout, have come back again. And Fallout is is quite a bit more complicated than Star Trek. But the reason they've done that is because they've worked from the franchise. So in the in the Fallout computer game, you have you have action points which dictate a lot of extra things you can do, and so they've renamed momentum to action points. And now they let you do things. So they've again they've brought it back because the computer game has hit locations and the computer game has particular attributes and skills. So they've taken those attributes and skills straight out of the computer game, and it and it fits perfectly. Um, so they they are definitely you know they they are using the system to go well. This is what the franchise is like. Let's uh, you know let's make the system match. I mean, obviously in the case of acting Cthulhu, it's a bit different. It's there it's their franchise, but they've gone for something kind of in the middle where it's a relatively, I think Acting Cthulhu to me is the one that's the most straightforward game because it has a relatively obvious set of skills an obvious set of attributes. Um, and so it's, that's, that's the one to me, that's, that's my sort of middle point. And I consider sort of the oldest three to be to one side of it and, and sort of Dishonored and June and uh, John Carter to be the other one. And then sort of uh, Star Trek and Fallout kind of parallel to Acting Cthulhu. They're, they're different, but they, there are some medium complexity. Um, it's the way how I think about it in my head. Yeah, I actually think that makes a lot of sense. That Octon Cthulhu sits, and I, I don't. I, I doubt that this was deliberate. It's just it sits right in the middle. And I, I had, I was first introduced to this system when I heard that there was an, a, a company had gotten the license to produce more Star Trek role playing games. I've played, I've tried Star Trek role playing games since the Fossa version. You know almost 40 years ago, and none of them have ever quite worked. None of them have ever evoked at the table the feel of Star Trek. And so I was, you know, a shameless fan of the franchise. I, 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 I downloaded the, um, the beta versions, and I just couldn't make sense of it. Uh, the, I didn't think that the rules were described and explained very well. And momentum, frankly, was, I felt like I was banging my head on a wall. It just didn't make sense to me how it was supposed to function. And then Free RPG Day a couple of years ago offered a Conan scenario, the pit of yeah. Katakalu or something like that. So there was a red, was it the red pit or was the red pit the beta one? I, I don't, yeah, it wasn't the Slave Red Pit. It was the one with the, you're on a little ship and you get capsized and you end up on this right. island and there's something horrible there and sacrifices and all that great Conan stuff. And so I decided, okay, same system. I had no idea that there was a continuum of crunch and complexity <laughs> between them, but I figured if I, can, if I can make sense of the core mechanic by sitting and playing in a game, hopefully the GM knows what he's doing, I'll be able to make sense of it from there because mm. it's the same system. I had no idea how much... The system had been tweaked, but it turned out to be the case. I played the Conan, that free RPG day scenario, and then everything clicked. And then I went back and I read the Star Trek beta materials that had therefore made no sense to me and everything made sense. But it is so interesting that, you know, you and I were talking a little bit ago about 
the explosion of D20 everything 20 years ago. Like everything yeah. was D20, every sing- everything. There was almost no substantive modification to how the system functioned or what it could do. People just slapped levels on everything. And well, here- I think in particular because they released the sort of the sort of the modern d20 core book and you literally then at that point it had basic classes and basic rules so then you could just put you put whatever you wanted straight on the top of that um or you know or you use the three the third or the 3.5 edition book and everything was meant to just just work but there's certain things that don't lend themselves to like a leveling system right and particularly any if you're trying to be cinematic, most, I mean, okay, you've got, you know, Star Wars, Luke Skywalker. Yes, he does start off on a farm. But, you know, the guy, the guy in the space of next to no time is blowing up Death Stars and using lightsabers and everything. But, you know, most cinematic things do not start off with, you know, zero to hero things. They start off with a person already being relatively skilled. Like fifth edition, you know, any version of D&D is great at the, maybe even more literary thing. The guy starts off as a, you start off as a peasant or you're slightly better than a peasant and you can work your way up to, you know, you're an all-conquering hero. And it does that great because of the levels. The levels are good for that. And if you want to play that kind of system, levels, levels work really well. But if you want to play, I already am relatively capable and I just want to become more capable. Yeah, it doesn't really do that because level one characters are just, fifth edition is not so bad for this, but actually no, Fifth edition is certain versions of D and D and Pathfinder and so on. The you know, level one characters just die. You ju- you just you know you just die straight off. And even the developers of fifth edition would say, really, you're meant to start at third third level. You're not meant to start at level one. You should start. But that, that to me is kind of like so. You you've, you've why have you put the, why have you, why does we start at level one if you're meant to start at level three? Why isn't it's like it's like it's like Spinal Tap. Why don't you just make level three, level one? Yeah, but it goes to eleven. Have, and then, this one goes to 11. Come you on, 20 now. levels. I was, it's, it's the kind of, they, they get a lot of people, and they've said it over the years, so third, the third, fourth, it's always the same that people say kind of D&D has a sweet spot of between, I know, level level five and level eight, nine, 10. And that below that, your characters are too squishy and they're not interesting. And beyond 10, the characters are now, they're too complicated. Uh, and it gets too difficult. And, you know, wizards can destroy an entire mob of bad guys and the fighters don't do anything. And I, that's the kind of thing I've always found a bit odd. It's like, okay, you know, if you wanted to do the zero to 20, it's one to 20, it's great. But the idea that it works best in this tiny range of things always seems a bit, seems a bit strange to me. So having a system, and there's, you know, there's lots of other systems out there that can do this, but they're having a system where you're relatively capable to start with and you get a bit more capable as opposed to being, you know, all conquering. It's, 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 more, it's more what you'll see when you watch a TV program or you watch a film. That's, uh, you know, that's more likely what you're, what you're having is that the characters are already relatively competent. Yeah, and I found that uh, even a, a new character in Conan, you know, you don't you don't have to. I think a lot of times sitting around the table at like say D and D, as you if you make those level one characters, people are eyeing each other and being like, "So do I get some extra points here?" You know, there's this assumption that the GM <laughs> is going to sprinkle some extra extra stuff on you so that you can survive. Yeah. Whereas Conan, brand new Conan characters written, you know, created rules as written are, are pretty competent. Um, Star Trek characters, you're a Starfleet officer. You're supposed to be, you know, top notch already. And Octon Cthulhu, you're an, you know, an operative for a secret agency for the allies fighting against, you know, horrors from beyond space that uh, 
the Nazis mm-hmm. have conjured up. So you, the assumption I think in all and in Dune, you you are you're in one of these uh, the the noble yeah, houses, a house, yeah. So you're already an exceptional uh, person. Yeah. I mean, I think I would describe to people, you know, as a as a contrary or as a difference from a level based system. I mean, all these systems are basically skill based. There is no yeah. single measurement by which your character floats higher. And character advancement in all the systems is is different, but there are ways to incrementally change or shift around uh, what you're good at and how good you are at those things. So I mean, Fallout actually does nominally have a level. Um, again, I think they've put this in because I can't remember, it's been a while, so but I'm assuming that the computer game has a leveling system. But realistically, a level one character is maybe a little bit worse. You still make it the same way. You have your attributes, you have a bunch of skills, you have you have like one perk. So you don't start off as good as you do in some of the other, most of the other 2D20 systems. Mm-hmm. But then, and but they, they have an XP thing where when you get so many XP, you level up. And every level is the same. When you level up, you get, you know, like a, another a level of skill and another focus or something like that. Okay. And then you get another perk. And so they have actually managed to go, well, actually, if you want to have leveling, here's a leveling system. Uh, you know, and it, and it works and it, and it works fine. The level one characters are a bit worse than they are in, in all of the other versions I've played, uh, but I don't think that you know it's still not the D and D. You're not going to a level twenty B, you know, conquering things. You're just going to be a bit better, um, which again it, it, it matches the computer game. It's exactly it. Probably it's probably more important than you find gear. So the most important thing I found playing Fallout was it was finding gear because that's what the game's about. It's finding cool stuff and going on cool adventures. And so again, they've done a really good job of going. Well, we can. This is the system we've got but we'll mess around with it a bit and we'll make it work for this, this other property. So when you're jumping from system to system, it is, it's quite handy, you know, okay, I know what the, I know what the basic core rule is because this basic core rule is the same all the way through. And we're on eight fingers crossed nine this year, different, different settings now. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important piece is that the, that mechanic that we talked about sits at the, at the base of all of these, but what you do with that mechanic and the variables that surround the the character or the player's use of it, those things change. But it's still, and I, maybe this is is it feels kind of hard to grasp right now. But it's still different from the OGL days of D twenty, where that system. I mean, it not only it was mechanically the same system, but it did always and only the same things. Hmm. Or same thing in every, this is this is a little bit different from that. But I, I I think you're right though that once you understand okay stat skill whatever they're called attribute discipline whatever stat plus skill roll two dice roll at or below and then there's this issue of momentum that we'll talk about in the future. But that's it. That's the core mechanic across all of these properties. It works. It's not it's not complicated. Once you realize like you said that you don't add the dice together that you're just rolling them and you're taking you know compared to other things um i think it 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 helps if you've played other systems if you've played you know there are a lot of other dice pull systems out there you know like you said world of darkness shadow run um you know there's plenty of other systems there where people are you're rolling a number of dice that you're then looking for match but normally they tend to be small dice so this is a rarity that you kind of we're rolling a couple of d20 which is cool because most people end up owning a lot of d20s and most of the time you're only ever rolling one um, I think the only thing that people ever find confusing is you've played a lot of fifth. In fact, you've played a lot of most other systems. Most systems are roll high is good. Mm-hmm. 
and I, but it's you know it's, it's easy enough <laughs> you get the hang of it pretty quickly but that's like it's particularly if you you know if you've got really used to fifth edition where a one might be bad and a 20 is a critical hit so 20 is the best thing you can possibly roll um yeah switching to this is a bit suddenly yeah it's the other way around um but actually the, the way i came at it is because the first game i really got into is infinity um and infinity actually does use two d20s in the in the miniatures game and in that you wanted to roll low so again it's bizarre that it kind of it, do, it doesn't work the same way but it was they took a miniatures game that used multiple d20s and you were rolling under a skill and they matched that to a role-playing game which was conveniently rolling d20s and rolling under a skill um I, i'm not sure but i would imagine that's part of the reason they managed to get the designers of infinity to give them the license because they look it's already using d20s we're halfway there um, you know I, something else that you just made me think of with dice pool systems that I sometimes have found and I've seen players find difficult dice pool systems where you're rolling a bunch of dice and you're adding them. Now, basic <laughs> yeah. math's not a, not a problem, but it slows things down at the table. Yeah. Or with the FFG, uh, the, the Genesis system, the star Wars system, you are rolling all these dice, with these weird little symbols, and then you are trying to figure out what they all mean. Whereas here, each 20 you roll, it's just that number that you're dealing with. Is it at or beneath your, your uh, target number? The die sixes that you're rolling for effect are, are easy. You just you add those up, and I know they're, we use them a little differently like we talked about earlier, but that's pretty simple. So in terms of this being compared to other dice pool games, you're not dealing with huge amounts of dice, nor are you dealing with a lot of math that, again, can slow things down. So is there anything else we would want to you tell someone? Someone's going to sit down because I, where I th was thinking about this, the importance of just exp uh, explaining how does the core mechanic work because everything emanates from that in regard regardless of what version of the system you're using. And I, again, was thinking about this from the standpoint of I've had people at local my local gaming store where I've run uh, a bunch of Star Trek games and at the local convention when it was happening, that uh, I did the same. And it was always people would come over and be like, oh, I'm really interested. I heard of this system. Or, oh, I really want to play Star Trek or Conan. I know nothing about this system. And so that's why I wanted to try to dispel misconceptions uh, about it. Is there anything else that you would say to someone who was waffling over giving this a try? Um, I think there's there's one other thing that's worth mentioning for the course. So everything we said so far, Stan, you, you, you the target number you're aiming for is just attribute plus skill. And a lot of games just written there on your character sheet. Um, set the difficulty, you take two dice. Now, the one thing that we skipped because we didn't really want to get into the meta currency is you can get extra dice. Now, we've already mentioned momentum. So you, know, you can use momentum to basically buy extra dice. You can get yourself up to five dice. Uh, but sometimes, obviously, you don't have the very start of the game. Or if you don't want to spend from the momentum pool, there's another way of doing it. And that, that again, that varies from game to game. Um, it's usually called threat, but in some other games it's called, again, they like to change it. So in some games it's called uh, Doom. I like Doom. I think Conan's great. And Infinity is called Heat, which again sounds pretty cool. But normally it's called Threat. And it's a similar thing. If you don't have any momentum or you don't want to use momentum, you can get you can get Threat. And essentially Threat is like the GM's version of momentum. So the risk you're taking there is I want extra dice because I want to be, I want to make sure I do this roll. Or, or you're doing something you're not very good at. Like in most games, if your, if your character is going to do something they are bad at, they will just fail. And if you've got like a paladin and they're sitting there and they're massive plate armor and they're going to try and stealth, 
you know, they, they haven't got a chance. They're going to, even if I want to be really, really sneaky, it doesn't matter. You're going to fail. Um, at least in this, there is a way of trying to make sure you see, you can buy extra dice, but what you're buying those extra dice with is future complications. Cause that's essentially what threat is. If you're buying threat, that's you're giving like chips, tokens, points, whatever to, to the GM that they're not going to use that now, but they've got that for later. And that's going to come back to bite you. And you know that, but still like my players will frequently, I mean, ironically, for a game that is called 2D20, I don't think my players ever, ever roll two dice. Just, just They just don't do it. They just It's built into them. I'm going to buy at least one extra dice. I'm going to roll three dice um, because they're almost always rolling three. And occasionally, they go, no, I'm going all out. I'm spending. I'm going to give you a whole ton of this threat. I know it's going to come back. Particularly, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about threat now, but it's quite nice when you start stacking up. And you go, like, I, I thought we, said, we both use poker chips. There's a nice big stack of red poker chips. just keeps getting bigger. And you can just kind of point to it and go, you know, this is... <laughs> This is coming back to get you when you get to the final boss, big stack. Yeah, I think. Um, and so there is a way of getting extra dice, which is so you can get up to five dice, which suddenly then means, you know, yeah, the heroes could succeed a load of stuff, but it will come back to bite them later on, which again, I think is very cinematic. We'll see, you know, you, we will see films and TV where a character will, they'll succeed and they'll succeed and then they'll just fail catastrophically. Everything's against them. And then, they, you know, they come back at the end and the, the momentum and the threat in this does mean that there's a way of being that more cinematic, that more, you know, sort of narrate. And it's, you know, it's, it's partly, you no. Know, I, I don't think it was cinematic. That's because I think, I think it just sounds cool. You know, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, that, that term cinematic, I've heard batted around a lot in, in gaming and it's hard to nail down. Like what exactly does this mean? But I think, I think it, it has to, for me, it has to involve some kind of way to, connect the mechanics to the narrative to push a certain kind of story. And, and I think that, yeah, that's, that's a perfect example of it. Yeah. You can buy extra, you can buy extra dice with momentum if you have it. So that's like, you're, you're riding off of your, your current success to be even more successful, or you can buy, you can mortgage today's success for tomorrow's interest <laughs> in the form of your GM saying, oh yeah, the ominous, that's what, as my daughter says, the ominous music starts and we know something is about to happen. When there's that giant heap of red poker chips sitting in front of me, my players know at some point it's gonna, it's gonna come for them. And it just gives me an opportunity to use it narratively and with a mechanical expression to make the game more interesting. And then it, it's like the tide flowing out. You know, when the momentum is yeah. all spent, the players may buy threat. But when I'm all done with my threat pool, well, then the players know I can't come after them as easily. Um, and I think that's that's what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of it being cinematic, is there's uh, we're actually all able to shape the plot in more ways than just, I rolled this die and I was binary. I was successful or I failed that there's more to it than that yeah this it, it, it does mean there's more of a there's a flow there's a flow to the game which a lot of games a lot of games kind of i find a bit stop start i do this i succeed great now it's the next guy or i i fail that's it but th this does have that you know i can succeed i do really well the next guy then actually is going to get my extra points they're going to get to go right we're, not, we're building up now right? or the opposite right we really we're just going to keep throwing threat at the gm because we want to succeed so we're going to just keep, keep steamrolling everything because we're just going to you know take five dice all the time but that is going to come back at you and so you, there is more of a flow and a balance like you said it's both mechanics and, and it's it's the narrative of the game as well is you know so it's, it's doing both um, I think it helps also they've picked they've picked really good properties to uh, 
to work with. I think that's the only thing I think I'd say to people and saying, you know, why, why this? And people say, well, like, you know, I don't like Conan. I don't like Star Trek or I don't like, you know, because they haven't picked, they picked pro- Star Trek's a massive property, but outside of Star Trek, they have not picked huge properties. Right. You know, these are properties that people might not have heard of at all, um, potentially, but they can transfer very easily to other things. You know, they've, they've got sort of what, three, four versions of sci-fi now. So, you know, if, if you can't play a sci-fi game, picking one of these things, you know, something wrong. Acton Cthulhu gives us both horror and World War II, but then also that time period, you could play a mystery game or a detective game or something. That, that I imagine that would work completely okay. Um, Dishonored would, is, is very, very different, but it works for a, a more steampunky, stealthy kind of game. So a lot of these games will work for other things. I think I said to you previously, the one thing that they're missing at the moment is a is a bog standard fantasy. But actually, maybe that's because they realize, well, if you want to play bog standard fantasy, go and play fifth edition. It's true. Um, but uh, I still expect, because they seem to be quite big fans with Bethesda, who make Dishonored and Fallout, um, that we will see an Elder Scrolls role-playing game um, at some point. They keep saying they they haven't, they aren't going to. Well, they haven't said that. They're just not saying. Right. They're not. They they're, they've got the miniatures game, so it would be surprising if they weren't doing the role-playing game. And then that would be, I kind of think, kind of the, the next big thing, and would be a yeah, because we have got a lot of sci-fi. Because the next one coming out is Homeworld, and that's another sci-fi game. So. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting. It'll be or whether they ever produce a just a generic system, um, which I would imagine because there isn't a single version of two die twenty, because it's tweaked and because it's changed. And I think they do a fine job of of tweaking it to fit the demand, the story demands of whatever property they're using. There wouldn't be. I it, actually, it'd be a really fascinating system, because I I would guess. They would produce a book, say, this is the core, and here are all the different modules, in effect, yeah. to make it either more narrative or more complex, you know, more fluffy more, more, or more crunchy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I'm, I'm happy with what they're doing, and I will continue to, uh, to be the, the, the one out there in the wilderness hollering about it, saying, you should play this game. There's more to it than you think. It's not as complex as you think. And no, it, it definitely it is. It's nowhere near as complex. One thing that a lot of people say, they've been saying it for years now, is that it plays better than it reads. Actually, part of the problem with that is that the the, the older games didn't read as well. But if you look at the moment, if you look at Acton Cthulhu, that does read very well. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek did part of the reason Star Trek issues reading is that they did this. You know, it looks nice to look at, but actually reading tiny white text on a black background in a book. It's not that easy. Yeah, the Klingon, um, the Klingon rulebook they just came out with, both visually and in how it's organized, is a much easier read, and it's a much better explanation and presentation of the rules. But yeah, that's a good point. The system plays a lot better than it reads, and it is it is not nearly as complex. I actually don't think it's really any more complex than than fifth edition. I mean, once you understand the core mechanic, there it is. Yeah, I think if I mean if you look at the fact that you know, something like fifth edition where you've got all the different classes. And a G- so if you're a GM in that system, you need to know what every single class is going to do. In theory, you need to know all the spells. You need to, I mean, the monsters aren't always written there, but there's a lot of stuff you have to really learn to be able to do. 2D20 hasn't have anywhere near that amount of stuff that you're going to have to learn. Maybe if you go back and look at infinity with lots of extra stuff, but even then it's just, 
the same basic core rule and the same basic stats and the things that characters do are very, very narrow. It's relatively, you know, it's a relatively straightforward thing. So I don't think it is more common. I think people who talk about 2D20 have looked at Mutant Chronicles or Conan, which are, you know, quite old now. And they assume every game since then is like that. But, you know, like you said, Star Trek is not like that. Star Trek has complicated bits, but they're bits that you cannot do straightforward in any role-playing game. Um, you know, an acting Cthulhu, I think, again, that's why I said I see that as being in the middle because the spell cast and that is really straightforward, whereas in, in Conan and Mutant Chronicles, the spell cast is complicated. But that's because it's meant to be. It's, it's like sorcerers doing rituals involving sacrifices. It's not meant to be, you know, click a finger and shoot magic missiles at someone. Um, Act Cthulhu is actually, their, their magic just works off your skills. You have spells, but they work off, if you're doing a healing spell, you use medicine and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's to me, it's a clever system. It shows that it can do lots of different things. And I like it in play. I have fun when I, well, I don't play, I run it. But when I run it, I have fun. I like having my stack of stuff. I like having choices about, you know, my players having choices about what they're going to do when they roll, not just, oh, what do I do? I hit it. Okay, well, I'll just roll my hit thing and I don't get that you know it's, it's always okay it's it does it is it can be marginally slower because you always have that choice of and you know it depends what your players like some players well, I'm just going to roll straight away but you know, my players will agonize over to evolve two three dice four dice um but you know, the, that basic core is is relatively straightforward yeah I agree that that makes sense so let's go ahead and wrap it up on that and our next episode will be about momentum threat, and fortune, that whole set of meta-currencies that the players and GM use to really make this system shine. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.